Welcome to Didache, where we are studying to show ourselves approved, rightly dividing the word of truth so we can worship God in spirit and truth, deepening our knowledge of God, thereby enabling us to deepen our love for God. Here is your host, Justin Peters. Welcome to the program, ladies and gentlemen. I hope that this finds you and yours doing well, and I want to thank you very much for joining me. I hope you enjoyed the series that we did entitled Hearing from Heaven, How to Know the Voice of God, uh, an issue about which, of course, there's a great deal of confusion. And uh, before we get into our next topic, I wanted to briefly share with you an email that I received uh, earlier today, actually. Uh, this is from um, Addie, and Addie says, uh, she says this, she says, Justin, a very astute observation here, she says, Justin, I believe Sarah Young's reference to her, quote-unquote, Jesus telling us to post reminders of his presence, her Jesus is telling us to utilize reminders such as images, icons, and statues. As a former Catholic, uh, born again 31 years ago in my 25-year study of false teachings. Good for you, by the way, Eddie. Good for you for studying. Um, anyway, in my 25-year study of false teachings coming into the professing church, I recognize the infiltration of heretical-slash-apostate teachings from the Catholic Church, one such error being the use of icons, images, statues to facilitate extra-biblical experiences, etc., as is evident in the heresies of purpose-driven slash seeker-sensitive slash emergent slash postmodernism, and uh, she signs a fellow Berean because of Christ, Addie, and um, Addie, very very good observation, a very good observation. If you recall, dear friends, uh, several programs ago, I talked about how Sarah Young, in her book uh, Jesus, I think it's Jesus Always, she says that uh, Jesus told her to put uh, reminders, write down things and, and uh, stick them up as reminders of his presence. You know, put them in your, I guess, on your refrigerator, in your office, your car, wherever, so you'll be reminded of his presence. And I brought up the point, well, if this is Jesus, if this is the second person of the triune Godhead um, giving her these instructions as she claims, then putting up little post-it notes, reminders of his presence must be pretty important because I'm not real sure what people would have done before the uh, invention of post-it notes, but uh, whatever. So uh, anyway, a very good observation, but this is very similar to Roman Catholicism. And, uh, and you go into a Roman Catholic church, what do you see? Everywhere you look, you see uh, you see icons, you see statues, you see paintings, you see uh, little, you see angels, you see Mary, you see Jesus, you see uh, the baby Jesus, you see, uh, you know, the 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 disciples and various supposed saints and all this, all this uh, iconography, all these statues around. And, and so a uh, very good astute observation there. There's a lot of overlap between uh, the the what is being taught in Jesus' calling and what you see in the Roman Catholic Church. And, and if you boil down all of these all of these cults, dear friends, whether you're talking about Word of Faith Charismatic, New Apostolic Reformation, whether you're talking about Roman Catholicism, whether you're talking about Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormonism, uh, what have you. They, they all, the, the fundamental problem is that they all reject the sufficiency of Scripture. 
if we could just return to the sufficiency, not just the inerrancy, that's important, but also the sufficiency, remember that word, the sufficiency of Scripture. Oh my goodness, how many false doctrines and false theologies uh, would be instantly cleared up and done away with. Wow. Um, and it all it all comes with the rejection of the sufficiency of Scripture. That's that's what it all boils down to. So uh, thank you very much, Addie, and, and thank you for others who have emailed as well and uh, given me your encouragement. Several of you have that you benefited from this series, and so I thank you for that. All right. Well, kind of uh, dealing with the sufficiency of Scripture, uh, we're going to remain on that theme in a sense, but a very different topic that I want us to address for the next couple of days or so, and that is Santa Claus. Santa Claus. And um, maybe some of you are thinking, oh my goodness, Justin, uh, seriously, Santa Claus? You know, you go after the false teachers and all this, and, and Santa too? Santa's in your crosshairs? Well, yeah, yeah, I guess he is. And and um, I, I wrote an article on Santa Claus. It's been five years ago now. Hard to believe, my goodness, time does fly, but uh, five years ago. And uh, I've received a few emails about this article here in the last week or so because of, of course, getting up close to the Christmas season. And so I thought I would spend a couple of programs or so dealing with the issue of Santa Claus. And um, and so I, I think you'll see why as we go along. You'll see why. Uh, Santa is is on my radar, and it's not to be hypercritical. It's not to be legalistic. By the way, a lot of people use that. To, oh, you're a legalist. You're a Pharisee. They really don't know what those words mean. Um, so, <laughs> I'm not trying to be a legalist here at all. But I want us to try to to kind of get our. This will be a good exercise, I think, in discernment. This will be a good exercise in using what we know about Scripture, what we know about the person of the triune God and kind of putting putting it um putting our our doctrine to our feet in a in a sense and and putting it into practice. So I want us to talk about Santa Claus. Um years ago, a number of years ago, a pastor told me he said, "Justin, don't ever preach about Santa Claus. You just cannot win uh when you preach about Santa Claus." He said, "Don't ever preach about Santa Claus or the Easter bunny. You just you'll never win." And so at the risk of going against his advice, I am going to address this icon with which we are all familiar, uh, but few really consider to be an issue, good old Santa. Now, to do away with any suspense, I'm not a fan of Santa. I've never cared much for him ever since I learned that he was not real. Um, as an adult, I cared for him even less because uh, uh, I just... I don't know, something about him that didn't set right with me. And this was even before I was truly converted. But um, but now I have a, <laughs> I have a, a great deal of um, animosity towards uh, old St. Nick. But uh, it wasn't until about five years ago now. Is, is that right? Let's see. Five, six years ago, maybe. Yeah, yeah, six years ago. About six years ago that I was kind of forced to sit down and really take a hard look at Santa Claus and evaluate him from a, a theological perspective, a biblical perspective. I had to wrestle with some of these biblical in, in, uh, implications. So um, I would imagine that uh, probably not everybody 
listening to the program. Maybe you won't agree with this, although I will say probably most of the folks who listen to this program um, are you're your more doctrinally astute. I like to think that, that the folks who turn into uh, my program and the others that Brandon carries Worldview Weekend will be your more doctrinally astute folks, so maybe I won't make too many people mad. But uh, if I do over the next couple of days, let me know. I'd like to, if you disagree with me, um, please do let me know. And if you agree with me, uh, please do let me know. I do love to hear from you. So anyway, not wanting to be a Grinch, and I'm not wanting to ruin what um, is deemed by most people to be harmless, fanciful fun for their children just once a year. But um, uh, these are not at all my, my motives for writing, not at all. But uh, I do think this is something that that deserves our attention. So as we go forward, dear friends, I ask that um, that you would consider the thesis that I present present uh, that you would consider it not with an open mind per se, but with but with a, a theological mind. All right, consider the points that I make and evaluate them uh, not against family tradition, not against common sense maybe, not against the culture, not against majority opinion. Uh, don't evaluate what I say uh, against your uh, against emotion or by your emotions, but rather evaluate what I say by the, the teachings of the inerrant, sufficient Word of God. Our standard for what is right, for what is true, for what is appropriate, for what is beneficial, for what is edifying to the believer and glorifying to God himself can be nothing but his word. Nothing but his word. Jesus prayed in John seventeen seventeen, Sanctify them in the truth, referring to his disciples and by extension us as well. Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. Everything, dear friends, that we believe, we must, uh, we must have those things taken captive by God's word. So we will begin by examining the history of Santa Claus. The history of Santa is not as well documented as many people think. The most widely held view is that the legend of Saint Nicholas, uh, or the legend of Santa Claus, began with Saint Nicholas. Saint Nicholas, who was a fourth-century Catholic bishop of Myra. Myra is a town in southern Turkey, and there was a cult that grew up around this bishop, Saint Nicholas. Prior to the Protestant Reformation, this cult had become one of history's most widespread religious movements. According to the Christian Almanac, quote, By the height of the Middle Ages, St. Nicholas was probably invoked in prayer more than any other figure except the Virgin Mary and Christ himself. End quote. Now, that's, that's quite a, a claim. So this, this cult movement that grew up around uh, this man, St. Nicholas, was uh, quite extensive, and, and people invoked him in prayer, uh, more so or only second only to the Virgin Mary and Jesus himself. So as his cult grew, uh, various acts of generosity and miracles were attributed to St. Nicholas, including the distribution of gifts to the poor. Uh, it is claimed that St. Nicholas delivered a city from famine, and also, there's this legend around this St. Nicholas fellow that he raised three boys from the dead, three young boys who had been sadistically murdered and mutilated. And unfortunately, such a horrific act such as this is not something modern. Um, they go back 
really as old as uh, human history itself. So St. Nicholas was rumored, a legend grew up around him, that this man, St. Nicholas, raised three young boys from the dead who had been murdered. Now, after his death, after St. Nicholas, uh, Nicholas's death, he supposedly made various visionary appearances to people in distress and need. He provided comfort and even deliverance from execution for those who were falsely accused. So some men who had been falsely accused of murder, he supposedly delivered them from their uh, pending execution. Uh, the documentation, though, of Nicholas' life is very sparse. It's, it's actually quite sparse. Little is known of him. Some people speculate that this St. Nicholas may not have even been a real person at all. There's some view that, that he never even existed at all. Nonetheless, the legend the legend and the cult grew. Now, despite Islamic advances across southern Turkey, which began in the 8th century, uh, the Protestant Reformation swept across northern Europe in the 16th and the 17th centuries, of course, and thank the Lord for that. I don't say that lightly, literally. Thank the Lord for the Protestant Reformation. And um, so both of the both of these things served to hinder this uh, cult that had grown up around St. Nicholas, which was largely Roman Catholic in nature. So you have the advance of Islamism, Islamism, and then you also have the Protestant Reformation. So that kind of put a little bit of a damper on this uh, legend around St. Nicholas. So, uh, but uh, there was a revised version of the legend that came to America via the Dutch character Sinterklaas. Okay, S-I-N-T-E-R-K-L-A-A-S. So Sinterklaas. The legend of uh, Sinterklaas appeared to be fairly dormant in American culture until the late 18th century when new life was breathed into the legend of Sinterklaas in Manhattan. Sinterklaas became known as Santa Claus and slowly began to be associated with gift-giving. Author Washington Irving, heard that name, of course, who lived from 1789 to 1853. Washington Irving, most famous for his uh, story of Rip Van Winkle and the legend of Sleepy Hollow. In 1809... Washington Irving wrote The History of New York, and in his work, The History of New York, he described St. Nicholas as an old man in dark robes who traveled on a flying horse bringing gifts to children. Hmm, that sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? In 1809, a flying horse, not flying reindeer, but a flying horse who brought gifts to kids. Sounds a lot like Santa Claus, doesn't it? Well, then later, uh, in 1821, there was another poem published entitled The Children's Friend. And in The Children's Friend, in this poem, Santa acquires his flying reindeer. So he moves from a flying horse to flying reindeer in 1821, and he stops on top of chimneys, on, on rooftops, and, uh, and, on top, and goes down, up and down chimneys. Now, just one year later, in 1822, Dr. Clement Moore, theology professor at Union Seminary, uh, undoubtedly inspired by both Washington Irving and the Children's Friend, wrote his own poem entitled, A Visit from St. Nicholas. Okay, and this poem begins with some words that you might um, find familiar. "'Twas the night before Christmas, when all through the house 
Okay, this this is the poem, A Visit from St. Nicholas. And it was this poem, written by Moore, which gave us uh, the number of Santa's reindeer, eight, Santa, eight uh, reindeer, along with Rudolph being the ninth, gave us their names, his travels up and down chimneys, leaving gifts for boys and girls. So it was this, it was this, um, this poem that really began to crystallize our, our notion of who Santa Claus is. And then there was a political cartoonist named Thomas Nast, and he developed Santa further by giving him a home in the North Pole and pictured him in a workshop with busy elves. Now, not everyone agrees with this. And you're thinking, well, Justin, you gave us all that information. Now you're going to pull the rug out from under us. Well, I kind of want you to understand the, the different views here. But not everyone agrees with this history. Uh, some point towards a much darker origin of Santa Claus. Some researchers trace the legend of Santa back to the Norse god of Odin, O-D-I-N. And Odin rode through the sky on a white horse but this horse had eight legs, hmm, eight reindeer, eight legs, a white eight-legged horse. Now, much like Santa, Odin's home was Valhalla, and it was in the, in the north country. Odin had a long white beard, hmm, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Long white beard, and he would fly during the winter solstice between December 21st and December 25th. And what was Odin's mission? Well, Odin's mission was rewarding good children and punishing the naughty children. So uh, that's that's another theory. Others trace Santa not to no, to uh, Odin, but to another Norse god named Thor. Uh, Thor, not, you know, like the movie here a few years ago. Thor with, um, what's his face? I don't know all the... I'm very ignorant about Hollywood, but um, anyway, some people trace Santa Claus to Thor. Thor generally was represented as an older, friendly man, not the kind of uh, you know uh, uh, modern day version of Thor. And the the original Thor was an older man. He was very friendly, but he also had a long white beard, and he was associated with the element of fire. And he generally wore red clothes. So here you have Thor, an older man. Long white beard, red clothes. Hmm, that sounds familiar. Uh, his mode of travel was a chariot drawn by two white goats. <laughs> okay, and the white goats had a name. Uh, Thor's goats were named Cracker and Nasher. Cracker and Nasher. Uh, he also lived in the Northland. And guess what? Thor had elves to assist him in his work. He was said to come down chimneys and perform benevolent acts for humans. So now that really sounds like Santa, old Thor. Um, more ominously, though, according to Scandinavian mythology, Thor was regarded as the chief antagonist of Christ. The chief antagonist of Christ. Now, let that sink in. This Thor, red clothes, older man, long white beard, went up and down chimneys, giving gifts to kids, was regarded as a chief antagonist for Christ. Now, uh, there's a lot of traditions from Holland, from Scandinavia, Germany, Bosnia. Uh, according to these, the Sinterklaas, K-L-A-A-S, did not travel alone, but rather he was accompanied by another fellow, a very sinister, demonic being known as Hans Trapp. Hans Trapp. Um, sometimes known as Hans Trapp, sometimes known as Necht Ruprecht, Krampus, the Dark Helper, 
uh, black peat. So this, so Thor's traveling companion was known as by all these different names: Nick Ruprecht, Compass, the Dark Helper, Black Peat, and it was this guy's responsibility to punish children and even drag them down to hell. The Pennsylvania Dutch had their version of the Dark Helper, helper known as Bell Snickle. Uh, furry Nicholas or Rough Nicholas. I know it's probably a little hard to keep all this stuff straight, but think Thor and his helper, Black Pete, Dark Helper, whatever. Uh, he was. It was his responsibility to take punish kids, drag them down to hell. Sometimes he was in the Dutch Pennsylvania Dutch version, known as Furry Nicholas, Rough Nicholas. So uh, the Dark Helper was not only dark by his nature, but he was also dark because he was apparently covered in soot from his travels up and down chimneys. And though Thomas Nast is rightly credited for creating the modern image of Santa, some argue that Thomas Nast's inspiration was not St. Nicholas at all, but rather the Dark Helper. Uh, Images of St. Nicholas portray a tall, slender man attired as a Catholic bishop, and they look nothing at all like Santa. When you look at when you look at um, the drawings of St. Nicholas, the, pose, the supposed real St. Nicholas, he doesn't look anything like our modern-day version of Santa Claus, nothing. He's a tall, skinny man, and he's dressed like a Catholic bishop. So that doesn't look like you know anything like what we see today with this fat, jolly man in a red suit and white beard. Uh, if you saw a drawing of St. Nicholas and a drawing of Santa Claus together, you would, there's absolutely no resemblance. Drawings of the Dark Helper, however, portray a horned man dressed in fur and carrying a bag on his back. Now that actually does bear some resemblance to the modern Santa Claus. And because of that, some researchers researchers, excuse me, argue that it was actually the Dark Helper rather than St. Nicholas uh, to whom we ultimately owe our conception of the modern-day Santa Claus. In fact, researcher Phyllis Siefker says this. Phyllis Siefker, researcher on um, Santa and other historical things. She says this, quote, It seems obvious, therefore, that Santa Claus can be neither the alter ego of St. Nicholas nor the brainchild of Washington Irving. If we peek behind the imposing St. Nicholas, we see, glowering in the shadows, the saint's reprobate companion, Black Pete. He, like Santa, has a coat of hair, a disheveled beard, a bag, and ashes on his face. In fact, it is this creature, rather than Irving's creation or an Asian saint, who fathered Santa Claus. So, dear friends, the truth of Santa's history is hard to know for certain. Uh, there certainly seems to be enough evidence to make plausible the theory that his origins are not quite as genteel as we have popularly imagined, and uh, though though Santa's origins may be of may be of interest to some, for the vast majority of people, Santa Claus is about as far as ominous as one can get. Most people think of Santa as a gentle, roly-poly, grandfatherly figure who gives good gifts to children once a year. So, what could be the harm, right? What could be what could possibly be the harm with Santa Claus? Well. We'll get into that tomorrow. Wanted to give you a little history background to him today. We'll get into what is so wrong with Santa Claus tomorrow. 
All right, dear friends, thank you very much for joining me. And until our next time together, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thank you for listening to Didache. We hope that you were encouraged and edified by what you just heard. If you have a question or comment for Justin, or interested in more teaching resources, or would like to have him come and preach at your church or conference, you may contact him at justinpeters.org.